man, many of you look well-rested, and there's a good reason for that. You had an extra hour of sleep, so uh, except for Tony Binda. This was a record this morning. He's actually the first time ever that Tony was here an hour early to church this morning, and so <laughs> he's looking at me like, what happened? He says, you know, did the rapture happen? He says, because there's not many people here at this hour, and I said, no, Tony, we set our clocks back, and so uh, I told him I would give him a hard time about that this morning, uh, but it was good to see him. Well, as some of you know, we finished up last week with 2 Corinthians, and we kind of have a little bit of a, a gap here. And just to let you know where we're going, we're going to be doing Advent coming up in uh, the end of, right after Thanksgiving, November, up and leading up to Christmas. And so we have like this three-week period that um, we're in between, right? We're in between series and, and our next step. And so one of the things that I thought um, as a good reminder, and again, I remind myself as, as well as you, is as PJ mentioned, there's two purposes for the church, right? I mean, if I said uh, the Great Commission, many of you know what that is, right? Sharing the gospel, evangelizing, and reaching out. But the second part of that is making disciples, right? And so we're going to take the next three weeks and look at what it means to be a disciple or to make disciples, and again, that's uh, one of those things that we know, but sometimes we lose track. And I'm hoping to kind of broaden your thought on it a little bit more. Now, it's true that we, we do some teaching uh, here on Sunday morning. We have Bible studies. We have our own quiet times. And those are all good things. And believe me, that is part of it in our growth. But what about the rest of the time? What about those other times when we're at work or we're at the, the store or if we're in the marketplace or we're at school, wherever else we are? Are we mindful that we are to make disciples all the time? And discipleship is not just for pastors or for elders or certain people. It's for all of us. We all have a role to play in making disciples. As I've often said, you are going to meet people and see people and come encounter with people that I'm never going to meet. I'm never going to get that opportunity. And just think about it. If we had even just this group here, say the hundred of us that are so here at Point Way at various times, we're not all here on the same Sunday, I get that. But if we were all reaching at least one other person, there would be actively being made 200 disciples. And hopefully that would grow and it would continue out. Now, I'm old enough to know, remember those marketing schemes, right? The, pil the, the pyramid system, right, where you go out. Well, guess what? That, that system had some faults, but in large, it does work. People going out making disciples, so disciples make more disciples, and it grows. And so we're going to take a look at that over the next three weeks, and hopefully, like I said, I can encourage you to start making disciples. And maybe you already have somebody in mind, or maybe you're already working with someone but challenge yourself, right? Maybe, all right, I'm discipling one person, but how, how about taking on two or three, right? If you get more than 12, then you're, you're, you're probably getting beyond that capability. I think mean, Jesus saw that. But again, um, it would be a good goal to go towards. So when I think of discipleship, and especially this morning, I want to take a look at a passage that's one of my favorites, one of those passages I go to often, and it's Titus chapter 2. Now, if you've been with us through 2 Corinthians, you are probably well aware of that, that title or that person named Titus, right? Paul refers to him often. You see, Titus was one of Paul's disciples, right? Titus was one of his trusted men. Remember, Paul sent him back to collect the, the finances that he later on took on to 
Jerusalem. In fact, Titus joined him in that journey. Titus is also one of the books in the Bible that's called the pastoral epistles. Right? It's, it's the, the, one of the last ones that Paul writes, and he's passing it on to the next generation of pastors. Timothy and Titus are part of that. Right? They're that, that next generation, that up and coming. Paul was getting himself ready to be duplicated in others, which is part of the goal in discipleship, right? Equipping the next generation while not losing track of our own or the one that's gone ahead of us. And so Titus, this letter is written from Paul to Titus, and, and he's encouraging Titus as he's trying to pull these churches together. Now, Titus was assigned to Crete. Crete's an, an island in and of itself. It was part of the, the Romans had, had captured. It was part of it, but it also operated independently. And Crete was a tough place. Interestingly enough, when most of the letters we read, right, most of the places that they had to minister to were tough areas, right? The Cretans were not known for being nice people. They were brutes. They were kind of bold and brash, and they could have been from New England, if many of you know that. Um, they would have fit well in that culture. No, I make fun. Someone here from New England is going to get me in trouble. Um, but it was a tough place. It was not easy to minister there, and there were scattered churches, and Paul assigns Titus to go back there and kind of keep them united, but also to raise them up and to teach and to establish leadership among them. And so we have Titus in our Bibles as a guide for that. Again, we also get some of our our establishment of leadership through Titus, and we're going to jump into chapter 2 this morning, and we're going to work through that because it really lends itself to discipleship. So, if you have your Bibles, if not, Brandon will have it up there if he doesn't already. Man, he is so good up there on the board for me. What is a pro- Verse 1 in chapter 2. It says, You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. All right, don't miss that, right? That's uh, the startup, right? That's the startup point. It's great to disciple someone, but what you teach is important, Right? You don't want to teach them inappropriate things. You don't want to teach them false doctrine, right? You want to teach them sound doctrine. So in order to be a good disciple, you have to have some of that as well. You have to be studying yourself. As someone who prepares and teaches and and speaks, I have to put some study in, right? I have to know what's coming ahead. I need to, to look it up and to study it out some. Good preparation, right? And so to be a good person to disciple, you have to put some, some work in, and you have to do what is appropriate. Put the work in, right? You have to study, and it has to be sound doctrine, right? You also have to be able to explain it to someone who may not know or may not be as far along, and so you may have to study a little bit broader or to break it down into smaller pieces or to, to look at it on a base level and be able to explain it. You know, speaking to people on that same level is always a, a difficult challenge, and, but you know, right, different circles, different circumstances, we speak to people in, on different levels, right? As our relationship with them is, so should our teaching, right? Because we want to be able to teach to them. Verse 2, I love how this starts out. It says, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. I said I love this is because older men, I can identify, right? I know there's some other ones here that might be a little bit older than me or in that same category, but, but older men. And can I also tell you that most of you are older 
than somebody else. But I also think that Paul addresses older men first because, guess what? Older men can be the tough group, right? As we get older, we get a little bit tougher to, to learn, tougher to teach, and sometimes we, we kind of get a little crusty. I'll just say it. Why are you laughing? It's true, right? I mean, it is. As we get older, we, we get tougher sometimes, and, and we, like, we kind of give up on the next generation, right? Those youngins are never going to understand, right? They have it easy. They've got a school bus to go to school, right? We, we had to go up the hill both ways, barefoot. You know the story, right? right? We tend to exaggerate that a little bit. But, but older men are a tough group. But I, I think that Paul addresses him first, though, because he also recognizes that older men do have influence. I think in my own life, right, there are a lot of older men that I respect, and when they say something, they get my attention, right? They don't, may not say much, or they may not say many, say many words, but they, re, they command that respect. They, they have my ear when they speak. And so I think that's why he starts off with older men. He says they must be temperate, Right? And nobody likes a grumpy old man, right? Nobody likes a, a yeller or someone who flies off the handle, right? And an old guy that loses it all the time, he's no fun to be around. You stay away from him. You usually avoid him. So I think that temperate's a, a good starting point. Worthy of respect. Right? When I was a kid, I was taught that you always respected your elders, right? That was kind of ingrained in you. But today, we've lost some of that. But yet still... There is an element of, are you worthy to be respected? Right? Do you command respect? Again, as hopefully part of that temperate and part of that, as you mature, you kind of mellow down a little bit. You don't get as excited about the things that you used to get excited about, and you are, are, are more even-keeled, and you command a certain amount of respect. You've lived through some tough stuff. You've gone through things. You've experienced things, and so... Being worthy of respect is not a bad thing. It's actually something that comes with age sometimes. Self-controlled. That's a popular one. That's a continual one. I don't know about you, but as I look through Scripture, that's in there a lot about being self-controlled, right? Having the ability to do something, but refraining from doing it, right? Self-control. I could pick something up and throw it across the room, but not. it wouldn't be helpful, it wouldn't be right, it wouldn't be proper. Self-controlled enough to, to keep it in check. That's just one example of many, but self-control. Sound in faith, right? Again, back to that doctrine, sound in the faith. Faith over time produces soundness. Faith over time produces soundness. Right? Your faith should be evident. It should be something you see, and it's not a fleeting moment. It's not something that just happens on the spur and dies. Don't miss this. In love. Right? Continues on. Don't miss this, in love, right? And again, the, the love for all, they love in the Greek. And it means the, that love that covers everything. It's that love for all. We talked about loving our enemies. That would be included in that, that broader spectrum of love. And endurance, right? Some translations say perseverance. That endurance over time, right? If you watch them or if you walk with them, you spend time with them, you see that they, they're the same all the time. I say it's one of the, the goals of many believers. It should be that we are the same way on Monday morning as we are on Sunday morning and Tuesday and Wednesday, right? 
that you don't find us different, like we don't put on something just to come here on Sunday morning, but we are the same throughout the week. We're consistent in our walk. Endurance, again, over time. Verse 3, hey, Laurie, this is the one I was telling you about, just so you know, okay? She, she set herself up for this, just so you know, folks. Likewise, teach the older women, Laurie, to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. All right? Again, right after that group of the older men, older women, for the same reason, right? They, they can be a little tougher group. They, 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 they can become a little bit salty as the years go on, and, and they, they have that, that need, they have that influence on the younger. And so they're the next group that Paul addresses here as he's telling Titus what to do as he's working in his church. And he says to be reverent in the way they live. Right? That, that word reverence, not something that we, we use often, right? But again, you could interchange that with respectful, right? That, that reverent in the, the way that they are revered is another way of putting it as well. They're looked up to. Not to be slanders. God, what does slander mean? Anyone have a, a good definition of slander? Gossip. That's one of those, right? It kind of goes hand-to-hand, synonymous. Right. Painting someone in a light that's not the best, right? Yeah, slander, right? Or, or even falsely accusing them, slandering them, something that's not true about them, but you're, you're cutting them down or making them appear um, less than they are or to something that they're not. Good definitions. Or addicted to too much wine. Why do you think that's in there, right? Didn't tell the older men not to drink wine, right? He's telling the, the women not to drink wine. That's not an indication of them, but well, what happens when you drink too much wine or you drink any too much alcohol? What happens? Foolishness. Yeah. <laughs> you want to repeat that one? I'm not sure I can repeat that one. No. You end up in my office. Yeah, you end up in his office, exactly. Right? The filter goes off. First and foremost, right? The filter goes off. You're you're on him, but you say things you wouldn't normally say. And again, that works against obviously being reverent, being a, a good and godly example. But, and again, but brings that back around, all those things aside, but teach what is good. That teaching what is good, that sound doctrine, going back to that verse 1, right? It all works together. Teaching what is good, teaching sound doctrine, teaching the truths that are found in God's Word. That's what the older women are to do in goes on here in verse 4. He says, then they can master all that and get ready. Then they can urge the younger women, Bree. I pick on Bree this morning a little bit because when I first met Bree out at Camp Jim, we were talking and, and I, at one point I said, hey, you know, Bree, I'm, I'm old enough to be her dad. And she goes, oh, shoot, you're old enough to be my granddad. And I was like... <laughs> And so forever, Bree and I have this great relationship that way, and she keeps me in check. And so, uh, but the younger women, they're important as well, and, and I appreciate Bree. And it says, then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, 
to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. On a quick glance here, one of the things I noticed, uh, the, the, the list for the older women is a little bit shorter than the list for the younger women. Do you notice that? There's a lot more that they're to teach, though. But again, the, the thought here is that the older woman is more in years, right? They're advanced. They're probably getting near that grandma stage. And the younger women are in that, that child-raising years, that tough period of life. And again, every season has its challenges. But I'm told, not that I know, that young moms have a tough time. It's tough with kids. It's tough when you're chasing after all them and keeping up with them. Was that an amen or a sneeze? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Linda, you certainly would understand it, though. All right? Love their husbands. I love how, how he puts it right. Love their husbands, right? It says that first. Quite often in marriage counseling, I, I'll even go through that list. What is your, your top three things, right? Who are you to love? God the Father first, right? Your relationship with Jesus is first and foremost, then your husband, then your kids. Get those out of order, and things run amok. It's a simple thing, but boy, many times that's what happens, right? We get things out of order. And so that's one of those. And so right here in Scripture, you can see, love your husband. That's, that's your responsibility. And your children, not, in, not exclusive, but children come next. Right? And that broader scope of love, right? Loving, caring, right? We've gone through that many times, what, what love is. If you don't remember, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and you'll see that exhaustive list there of part of what love is. Patient, kind, all those things are all part of that love. Again, to be self-controlled. I see a theme here, right? There's something that runs through for all of us as believers, to be self-controlled, pure, it's an interesting one to add here. Again, part of the, the fruit of the Spirit, part of that love is being pure. To be busy at home, right? Responsibility, right? Again, in the priority of things, not losing track of the home life. Uh, guarding, yeah. Testing and protecting, yeah. The, the picture would be the, the mother hen, right? The, the holding on, the nesting, and, and keeping track of the, the young ones. But keeping that home a, a safe place, a secure place, certainly, that, that works together. If you're new here and, and you're wondering why people are just jumping in, that's kind of our norm here at Point Way because we work through this together. And so, you know, don't be, a, it's nothing uh, offensive or at all. It's just part of our culture here at Point Way. But we like to, to work through this together. And so I appreciate that as well. But taking care of the home, right? The bigger pitch here. To be kind. To be subject to their husbands, right? And, and again, that's that, that covering that comes in that relationship, that marriage relationship of the wife willingly putting herself under the husband's protection and under the home. Again, older ladies need to teach that, teach the benefits of that. And so much of today's world has hijacked that. And last but not least here, but so that no one will malign the word of God. Right? Again, pointing back to that sound doctrine, the good teaching, but also the representation of God. Right? Broken homes do not do a good job if at all representing God. That's not what he intended. That's not how he, his plan is for our homes and our, our home life and our families. So again, those are all part of it. 
And then last and not least, Lucas, this is for you, because he told me earlier that he could, I could use this for him. So similarly, encourage the young men, Lucas, to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Again, remember Paul's talking to Titus here, and he's, he's helping him set up this in the church as a continual role model. And, and so, again, the older men to the younger men, this is part of that, that, that same theme, right? Being self-controlled. You could say that's the mark of a disciple or a discipler is having self-control. He goes, and everything, set them an example. Uh-oh, uh, that's not an easy one, is it? Right? And again, that's not the, the, the short window in time, but that's over time, right? That example has to be over time. It, you have to spend time with them in order to show that. It's, it's one of the things that's not a quick fix anymore, right? If you're going to disciple someone, it's going to take time. You're going to have to spend time with them. You're going to have to be in relationship with them. They're going to have to see you in other circumstances, Right? Assuming that Sunday morning is only one of them, you're not going to see very much. If all you come in and for a couple hours we spend Sunday morning together and you don't see each other throughout the week, it's going to be hard for me to disciple or you to disciple someone else if you're not spending time with them. And I also understand that a lot of times that, that time where the most teaching happens is outside of the church. It happens during the week. It happens during those other times. It can happen anywhere. So setting a good example is important. In your teaching, show integrity. Again, Paul's telling Titus, you need to show integrity. Again, that's going to speak to the younger men. It's integrity. It's one of those things that's important. Again, you could do a whole message on integrity. There's a lot that encompasses integrity. How you handle yourself, things you do, your responsibilities, right down to the showing up on time and, and how you interact with people. Integrity is one of those, a large word, but you need to show that too. You need to be an example for the younger men. Seriousness and soundness of speech, right? Speaking with intent, right, is, is kind of the thought here, right? That seriousness, there's time to have fun, but there's also time to have those serious conversations and those, those deeper times of teaching, Opening up God's word and digging in, right? I can disciple someone how to fish, but that's, that's just one area, and that's a fun thing to do. But again, if we're not having any godly time or, or speaking about God's word or praying together or doing some of those other things, it's kind of a su superficial. And I might need to do that in order to build a relationship, but at some point I need to continue to work towards that. I think always having that purpose in mind, right? Let's get to the... Let's get to some meat. Let's not just stay up here in the, the upper air. Let's get down a little bit. And again, lastly here, but not, not least, right? So that you do not have to be ashamed, right? So those who oppose you have nothing bad to say about you. They can't slander you, as we've talked about early, right? Being that godly example. So he's talking about here, does that cover most everybody? Older men, older women, younger men, younger women. I think it covers all of us, right, in some stage that we're at. 
Then he shifts gears here a little bit to slaves. And again, we've talked about this before in other passages, right? Slavery was pretty common in that day. It was said that in the Roman Empire, up to two-thirds of the people were under slavery. So because Romans ruled, Again, but it's not the, the slavery. We have that barrier as Americans. Sometimes we, we, we jump automatically to look back in our history of the South and, and the slavery was there. But again, the slavery at that time was a little bit different. Yes, they were under slavery. They were under rule. But there was a lot more freedom in it, per se, than the slavery that we automatically think, think of. They were allowed to own things. They were allowed to, to work and to have something. But they, yet they still had to pay tax. And they still had to pay, and they were still under rule. They couldn't just do what they wanted, but there was a little bit more freedom than normal. And so Paul addresses this group here. And again, and today, if we're trying to translate or trying to bring that forward, we quite often use the, the term like work, right? Because when we're at work, we put ourselves under the authority of whoever we're working for. And so for a way, it's a great way for us to help transition from slavery to our work environments depending on where you work. It says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that you can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Again, if you go back to this list and you look at it, work works really well with this, right? And this is where we spend a majority of our time during the week Right? And so if we could put that, I mean, we would never call our boss a master. We wouldn't want to give him that much authority. That might be, be dangerous, right? But in a way, we do put ourselves under them, right? They are over us. There's a reason they are in charge of us. And so for that time, we do come underneath them, and we come under their authority. And it says, in everything, to try to please them, right? Pleasing the boss goes well right? It, it can go well with you. I mean, not always. It's not an absolute, but again, that should be part of it. And how we please them, you have to know your boss. You have to have a relationship with them. But if you're part of that, and whether it's working hard or, or making sure things uh, that you're well aware of what's going on or having the bigger picture and it can be helpful to that. So trying to please the boss, right? Again, obviously, it's not going so far that we're not, you're not buying coffee for them or in, in, in getting them extravagant gifts. You're not trying to buy it. But in your work, showing that, giving them the proper respect, trying to please them by doing the job that you're being paid to do. Not talk back to them. I think some of you have shared with this before, but I used to work for UPS for many years, and I was a, a manager there when we first were married. I actually spent almost 10 years there. And uh, talking back was pretty much the norm. I, it, was a, it was a trucker's union, and again, UPS guys were busy, and they had their own little attitudes and things that go with them, and I was that morning guy that would send them on their way for the day, and talking back was pretty much a regular thing, and it wasn't always pleasant. It wasn't always, there was a lot of adjectives quite often added with it, again, working with believers and non-believers, but talking back, and especially if you asked them to do something that was extra, or something was changed. They were creatures of habit. They, they wanted the route a certain way, certain stops, they, and things they, they wanted lined up for their day. Again, they, they wanted to get done in a certain time, and they, they liked their pace that they had set. So if you change that, you almost expected to get talked back to. But here, in order for, as a believer, 
talking back can't be part of that. That's not saying you can't have a conversation with the, the boss, but be careful how you speak to them. Right? Give them the benefit of the doubt. Try not to talk back to them. Right? Do not steal. Talk a little bit about integrity. That's part of that, right? Not stealing from them. Not, not taking what's not yours. And that stealing can be in a lot of forms. I would say today, one of the, the biggest stealers is, is time is phones, right? I'm always amazed at, at how much I see, whether it be construction work or in a factory or whatever, but people are on their phones. And it's not work-related, Right? If I'm being paid to do a job, I need the, the integrity to not be on my phone or not doing something else. You got quiet in here all of a sudden. I may have stepped on somebody's toes. But again, that's a form of stealing. That's not part of the integrity. Again, these are all things to be mindful of. It says, but also that you don't steal so that you can be fully trusted. Right? So when the boss isn't there, you do the same amount of work as if he was there. And again, I used to manage warehouses, and that was always a thing. If the boss was away, right, the mice will play. That was always a, a cute little saying. Well, there's a lot of truth to that sometimes. And again, it's easy to fall in that trap. Well, the boss isn't here, so now we can kick back and relax a little bit. But that's not part of the testimony. That's not part of being a discipler, right? So that you're fully trusted. You'll do the same amount of work whether they're there or not. It won't make any difference. And ask, also tell you, as someone who's been in that position on both sides of that, it actually is a lot easier if you just work the same either way. You don't have to worry. It doesn't matter if the boss walks in or not. There's not that jump in the heart or that anxiety. I'm already working as hard as I can work. That's fine. Whether he comes or not, it makes no difference. But there's a reason for all this. Here he says, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive can't help but think of that, that, that thing that we just went through with being an ambassador, right? These things are attractive. They're going to make you stand out in the workplace. They're going to make you stand out as you're different. You're the, the, a different employee if you can do these things, right? You may even get that opportunity, and hopefully you do. Hey, why are you the way you are? Why do you work so hard? I mean, whether it's your coworkers or your boss recognize it, you get an opportunity, Right? I work for the Lord. I don't necessarily work for you, so I want to work hard. I want to do a good job. It's because of my beliefs is the reason I work the way I do. Again, it's an open door to show Christ. All right. Got quiet again. I'm not sure why, but I did. Verse 11. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Again, being a discipler is not forgetting that part of it either, right? The only way you can be a discipler is to be a believer yourself, right? That salvation. And that salvation just for us, it's for, does it say select few? A couple? No, it says all, right? It's for all. It's for that boss. It's for that hard person. It's for that, that young person, that older person. It's for all. Right? Salvation is for all, and we should be ready to give that. And because of our salvation, we should act differently. It goes on to verse 12, and it says, It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly possessions, and worldly passions, 
possessions would fit in there as well, passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. In case you don't know what the blessed hope is, it says the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from to do what it is and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. I didn't line this up, but it works out well that we're doing communion this morning and, again, reminding us of that hope that we have in Christ, that future hope. But God's Word teaches these things, right? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to worldly passions, and to live self-controlled. There's that word again. We can't seem to get away from it this morning. Could have put that in as another subtitle, right? Part of being a disciple is being self-controlled upright, godly lies, right? Especially in this present age, right? If you live this way, you will stand out. You will be seen. You will be recognized. And again, I love, he gives you the answer, right? You don't have to struggle with it. You don't have to, to come up with some, some answer for the why you, why you are what the way you are. As a believer, you can say, it's because of the hope I have in Christ, because I am a believer, Again, it makes it easy to present the gospel that way. It sets the stage. And we're going to take some time this morning to, to remember that. And as we close out this chapter here in verse 15, again, Paul's telling Titus this. And again, it's the same thing that we can encourage each other. It says, these then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. I love that. Encourage and rebuke, right? They, they go hand in hand, right? To encourage someone, right? We, we love to be encouraged. We love to, you know, hey, keep going, brother. Keep going. You're doing well. Sister, keep, keep working on that. You're, you're, you're going to get it, right? To encourage. But if you're going in the wrong direction, the same thing is just as encouraging. Hey, whoa, stop. You're going the wrong direction. Hey, you shouldn't be doing that. That's, that's wrong. No, it's not what God's word says. Let's get back to that. They work hand in hand, especially if you care about someone, right? That's, a, that's a, one of the most loving things you can do is, is rebuke them and tell them when they're, they're going down the wrong path. You can stop them before they go too far, right? And then lastly, he puts on there, do not let anyone despise you. Again, he's talking to Titus. He's just reminding him, hey, sometimes this is not going to be received. Sometimes this is not going to go well, right? But don't. Let them despise you, right? Don't let them look down upon you, right? It's always good to do the right thing, even when the right thing doesn't feel good, right? Keep doing the right thing. Keep doing the godly thing. Keep being that person that God's called you to be. So hopefully, this morning, as we wrap this up this morning, is you get a, a broader picture of discipleship. That was my goal in, in looking at this, and as we're going to be expanding on that the next couple of weeks, but hopefully you can pick something this morning that you can take from this. One of the things that I hope is wherever you are in this stage of life, if you're an older man, that you could find a younger man that you're discipling. If you're an older woman, that you'd find a younger woman. If you're a younger woman, that you have someone that's older than you that's investing in you, and then you in turn to someone else. Same thing with you younger men. You have someone older that's investing in you, older believer, 
and that you can invest in someone else. Hopefully you have those folks in mind. If not, I would ask you to pray about that this week, and, and who should you be discipling? It's kind of the challenge, right? Not get inward focus, but get outward focus. That's what discipleship is. It's looking out for that other person. Bow with me, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, may you lay that person on our heart. Lord, that we may be able to find that person who is a little bit older in their faith than us, Lord, and someone that we have respect for that we can follow. Lord, we also ask that you would burden us with that person who's a little bit younger and someone else that we need to to step into their life and to, to walk alongside them and to encourage and to teach and hold accountable. Lord, help us be obedient in the things that you called us to be obedient. Help us to love those who are hard to love. And Lord, may you continue to do your work in and through our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If somebody could go out and get the, the kids. You did? Jill took care of that? Thank you, Jill. Appreciate that. We're coming into our time of communion this morning. If I could have a couple of our elders, uh, the ones that are here, the ones that are, are not sick this morning, if they could come up with us again least two of you for communion. Uh, if you're visiting here with us again this morning and, and how we do communion, we have an open communion table. And what that means is it's open to all that are here who are believers. It's not closed to members only or just the Point Way family, but it's opened up to everyone that's here this morning. But we do take it seriously and we take communion uh, very seriously and we take what God's word says about communion to heart. And so scripture tells us, it says, so whenever you eat of the bread or drink from the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, you will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. It says everyone should examine themselves before they eat of the bread or drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. And what we like to do here at Pointway is just take a few moments, just close your eyes, bow your head right where you're at. And this is just between you and the Lord. And just take a moment to make sure that you recognize what you're about to do and if you're in right relationship with Christ. Bryce, if he'll give thanks for the cup and the, the bread that we're about to receive and what that represents. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together and to remember your sacrifice, remember your plan for salvation. Lord, that E.J. was saying earlier, you who knew no sin
partake in this cup and this. Remember that. Amen. Take the bread first. Scripture tells us, For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Continues on in the same way after the supper, he took the cup, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and lead us in a closing song this morning. And as we also like to do as a reminder, there's still cups left and there's still seats empty here before us. And so um, it's a reminder that there's still work to be done. There's still folks out there that still need to hear the gospel so that they may join us at this time. And wouldn't it be great if next, uh, next December when we do this again that, that we'd have more people here than even we had today. And so it's a reminder for us to continue to share the good news that we've received. Thank you. <laughs> 